The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Hello and welcome to the Art Newspaper Podcast. I'm Ben Luke. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast is all about comedy. A bit later, three stand-up comedians tell us about their paintings in an exhibition of comedians' art in London. But first this week, Maurizio Catalan. Last week, the art newspaper broke the big story at the Art Basel Miami Beach Art Fair about a new work by the Italian artist, a story that has since gone viral across the world. The artwork, called Comedian, consisted of a real banana stuck with grey duct tape to the booth of his gallery, the Paris-based Perrotin Gallery. Produced in an edition of three, with two artist proofs, it was priced at $120,000. The edition sold out. One was sold to an anonymous collector, another to Sarah Andelman, founder of the Paris store Colette, and another to Billy and Beatrice Cox, the Miami-based collectors, who said, Our intention is to loan the controversial work to a major art institution in order to attract new generations to the museum. We pledge to gift comedian at a later date. They haven't yet said which museum is the beneficiary of their philanthropy. The banana became a sensation at the fair and the controversy took a surprising turn when, on the 7th of December, David Detuna, who describes himself as a performance artist, removed the banana and ate it. He was later escorted out of the fair. Another banana was installed in its place, but the work was removed from display on the final day of Art Basel Miami Beach. The Peritan Gallery said, The installation caused several uncontrollable crowd movements and the placement of the work on our booth compromised the safety of the artworks around us, including that of our neighbours. So what's this all about? Well, the writer and critic Ben Lewis made a documentary about Catalan for his television series Art Safari in 2003. And Ben joins me now to discuss this maverick artist. Ben, let's begin by talking about Comedian, this work with the banana and the duct tape. Uh, Where do you think this sits in Catalan's oeuvre? Oh, that's such a good question, because actually it's probably his worst work of art, which probably makes it his best work of art because kind of that's where art theory has led us now to this really topsy-turvy world and that's what the banana stuck onto the wall is all about I mean I could talk about it forever you know even though it's just a banana stuck on a wall I mean what's interesting to me is like it's followed such a sort of standard trajectory for a controversial work of art like Tracy Emin's bed for instance you know you know you know including that sort of intervention by this guy who comes and eats it there were those guys who jumped on Tracy Emin's bed it's sort of you know it's almost like you know he's just sort of set the ball running and then watched as the inevitable process of a controversial artwork followed it's a perfect work of art for the brexit general election and for the whole twitter sphere isn't it for this for sort of twitter culture because here you have a work of art that's like deliberately provocative deliberately nasty it's almost like a sort of julia hatespewer otherwise known as hartley brewer you know, tweet pro Brexit. It just drives everyone completely insane and it attracts all this attention. And actually, basically, a work of art for the attention economy. That's what I'm trying to say, you know. And it's got a long tradition behind it. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, one of the, the greatest albums of all time, which had a Warhol cover on it, you know, the Velvet Underground album, had a banana on the cover. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, sort, that's sort of where it starts, isn't it? And the other place, like, if you wind it back, even in Maurizio's oeuvre, you know, he just copying a work of art he did in the late 90s when he basically duct taped his Italian gallerist Massimo Di Carlo to the wall in one of his early really notorious works you know he taped the gallerist to the wall the whole you know this big big Italian gallerist got taped to the wall for a day that's right so let's, let's talk a bit more about that because it, that work where he taped Massimo Di Carlo to the wall of the booth of an art fair was called a perfect day right so let's explore it a little bit more because it, it was at that you know this is late 90s Catalan was not was just becoming a big name at that stage and it's i mean it was a really radical gesture wasn't it at that stage he hadn't necessarily developed his reputation as a prankster and yeah. and here you know here were people going into an art gallery and seeing one of the gallerists actively taking part in being you know stuck to a wall let's put it this way it was a new kind of institutional critique right and a lot more entertaining than hans hacker but you know <laughs> in the same field Right, let's talk about... So tell us, what, what, explain to the listeners, what's, what's institutional critique? Oh, right. Well, institutional critique is when you make a work of art criticising the whole museum structure and the sort of mythology that surrounds art and artists and exhibitions. You know, in a way, um, 
you know, Maurizio is part of this sort of concept, conceptual art reaction against a sort of mythologization of the artist that started with, um, you know, in the 19th century with Romanticism. You know, they put the artist on the pedestal. The artist made all the work. The artist was a visionary. In fact, you know, uh, you know, after the Enlightenment, the artist was the guy who had his handle on God because the artist painted in these, you know, these sublime scenes from, from nature, you know, and didn't have to sort of meddle with, you know, language, which is what, you know, ordinary humans used you know so the artist was like in touch with god and that was all sort of carried over wasn't it into abstract expressionism and mark rothko and conceptualism and maurizio's pop conceptualism that's probably quite a good word for it maurizio's pop conceptualism is part of this sort of 50-year reaction against it this 50-year reaction you know the end of romanticism the end of modernism you know all that mythologization of the artist is bunk and um, obviously, and it goes back a little further than that even, doesn't it? Because I suppose in that period, it was actually, you know, just when the abstract expressionists were in their pomp, there was a group of artists who were rediscovering Marcel Duchamp, who had, in a way, triggered the whole institutional critique, even though it wasn't called that in his own era. Yeah, I mean, there's Marcel Duchamp with the urinal and these other ready-mades. And, you know, the ready-made is like, establishes the artist as thief. You know, you take something from reality and you put it in an art gallery and suddenly it's yours. I mean, you've nicked it. And, you know, wind forward 80 years and Maurizio did a brilliant take on that. You know, he had this ex... He basically got all these safes, these these safes from banks that had been broken into and the money that was in them had been stolen. And he exhibited these safes as works of art. You know, it was a whole exhibition of theft and each safe was titled according to how much money had been nicked from it, like minus $157 million or something. It's just total genius. You know, nobody has an imagination that simple. Anyway, you've got Duchamp, you've got Piero Mazzoni, haven't you, with the, the, the tin of poo-poo, you know, the artist poo. That's a sort of gag about the mythologization of the artist, you know. And you wind forward and you get to Marcel Brudars, don't you, putting potted plants in art galleries as a sort of comment on the, you know, imperialism and coloni- colonialism of, of public collections in Europe, which is, you know, and this was all in the, in the 60s or 70s. I mean, do you, I mean, Brutas is just so contemporary, it's not true. He's like one of my top guys. One of the things about Catalan is that, he, 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 you know, your film, Art Safari film about him, he, he studiously avoids being interviewed. You manage just at the end of the film to get a couple of minutes with him. But then again, he chooses to use the answers of somebody else when you're finally actually being able to ask him questions. It's somebody else's answers that he delivers. And one of the, and one of the things about him not being accountable, at least until recently, he's only recently started really doing interviews, is that we can't, you know, he doesn't want to just simply make statements like, I see myself in a lineage of Duchamp, Brodeurs. He... He is very difficult to pin down in that way, isn't he? I think the simplest way to think about Maurizio is as a cartoonist, you know, a 3D cartoonist. And, you know, if he was doing drawings in a newspaper, we'd kind of find that art as art critics in a way a lot easier to to understand, to slot into the, the cultural landscape. I mean, the other famous one, the ninth hour, the Pope struck by a meteorite. I mean, that is a classic kind of cartoon image, isn't it, that that says to you just like, Imagine if, you know, imagine if the Pope is struck by a meteorite. What happens to our faith in religion? I mean, what, what a question that poses. I think the other thing, you know, that I've got to give you about, you know, sticking Massimo Di Carlo to the wall is that, like, you know, it's a gag. It's not just saying the mythologization of artists is bad. It's not like that. He's a satirist. You know, he's actually saying, look what I can do. You know, this guy has to flog my art. You know, he's got to be nice to me. I can do anything. I'm the all-powerful artist, you know. I will, I'm the visionary who can see God. So if I want to stick my gallerist to a wall, here he goes. Up, up he goes. You know. I think this is one of the most interesting things. And I think it's something that lots of these sort of hysterical responses where they're sort of saying, oh, it's the end of art, you know, are completely missing. That actually, you know, Maurizio has consistently lampooned the market. So kind of, I mean, in, you know, talk about um, um, Peratin, what he did with Peratin. Well, it, you know, I think it's important that you, you say, you know, everyone's shouting this is the end of art. Because in a way, in inverted commas, it is the end of art. It is about the aporia, if I might use a phrase from Derrida. It's about the aporia, you know, that sort of dead-end moment in art theory, when art theory collapses in on itself, you know, and suddenly 
within the terms of art theory, sticking a banana to a wall is actually good art. I mean, he's telling us that art theory has collapsed in on itself. He's telling us that, you know, that whole discourse of contemporary art that you and I use, that everyone uses, it's become a black hole. You know, there's something going wrong there. And that's also for me that's also quite important but it's not the only kind of art he produces he doesn't only hack on about the art market he does other really funny kind of witty little biographical works doesn't he i mean you know there's there's the one of of him as a child he did lots of little sculptures of him as a child and there there's this early one where this kid dressed up you know looking like him looking like a little him is seated at a school desk and he's basically crucify his hands are crucified to the desk because each one has got a pencil through it like jesus crucified to the cross yeah you know and it's about you know it's about lots of complicated things you know is school oppressive was he subject to too much control or you know was he just obsessed with drawing is that what the pencil's about he creates these these wonderfully challenging ambiguous open-ended pieces another another work which involves children i mean he 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 depicts himself as a child in lots of works, for instance. But yeah. also, the, probably the most famous work involving a child, in inverted commas, is a 12-year-old version of Hitler, basically. So uh, it's called Him. Yeah, that's just amazing. That's like Hit- Hitler looks like an adult, but actually he's in the body of a 12-year-old kid. And I just think, you know, I've often thought about that work. You know, it's not easy to get to that image. It's part of the genius of Maurizio. It's this sort of simplicity that brings him to a sort of, a funny but also also a sort of dark gallows humour moment. And, like, you know, imagine if he'd done Hitler, like, but Hitler has actually had the face of a 12-year-old Hitler, so he looked younger. It wouldn't work then, would it? It's this, it's this colliding of ages. It's that he's 12, but he's also grown up. You know, he's praying. Does this remind us that the most evil people in the world actually also often think they believe in god think they've got a morality or is he actually praying for forgiveness you know does he know what terrible things he's done or is going to do i mean what a marvelously ambiguous shocking image Another thing he did was he dressed up Perrotin, who was whose booth the banana was on in miami uh, as as a sort of a, a sort of bunny penis uh, in in his gallery. Yeah, yeah. He, he he's got you know he's he's got a certain amount of mileage out of winding up his galleries, hasn't he, and making fun of them. And there, you know, back in the day, you know, Emmanuel Perrotin was you know a very young uh, ga- gallerist in in Paris with no particular reputation, but you know a good eye, and he had Murakami on his books, and you know he had Maurizio as one of his artists. And for one of the shows, he uh, Mar- Maurizio got. Um, Peritan to dress up in a sort of special bunny penis outfit he'd made you know it was like a sort of pink papier mache kind of penis outfit with two bunny ears on top I mean it's like really gross and he had to hop around his gallery like that for a couple of weeks and, and there's another piece from New York you know in that vein where you know I think it was at Marion Goodman and Marion's like okay we're going to put on a Maurizio show and Maurizio couldn't think of what to exhibit and so at the last minute he got a donkey in he suspended a really fancy expensive glass chandelier from the ceiling and underneath he tethered a donkey to a rope and it's just hanging out in this empty art gallery yeah and another I thought quite marvellous thing was that that work you know this this sort of apparently mindless work which he just did at the last minute was reconstructed as a sort of historical document at Freeze New York one time so you know again Maurizio's playing with the art world's pretensions to be seen as a sort of serious art moment you know yeah and then he had his own little gallery didn't he in New York the wrong gallery which was just literally a door but you know a glass door and behind it he'd invite his mates to put on shows and the art there was really really good I mean this guy is a serious artist you know working in lots of different media and he had this amazing magazine didn't he in the 90s or early 2000s called permanent food i wish i had a whole collection of that you know incredible photographs i think they were mostly found photographs he's just got he's an incredible observer he's a really really good observer and he's a and he's very good at finding simple images to capture his observations you know and i'll tell you my favorite piece all right i got to tell you my i know i'm talking way off but the favorite the best piece he ever did was for peter brandt and you know because if Maurizio is so big and so lazy that he'll only do apparently he'll only do a work of art if you commission him you know if you say here's the check will you do something for me peter brandt uh, is a media magnet right it was a media magnet didn't he owned the whole interview magazine didn't he in new york right. and he was he had lots of warhols and he was close to warhol he's a big collector you know so he wanted a Maurizio. what what, what did Maurizio do for him well he did a portrait of his wife Stephanie Seymour, top model. Stephanie Seymour, right, 
on a plaque as if she is like a de- a stuffed head of a deer you know just her top bit holding her breasts pushing them forwards you know there it is you know peter brant's trophy bride as a work of art you know it's a cartoon it's breathtakingly simple but it's also like it's like a knife in the gut isn't it it goes right through you instantly He's really good at those private commissions, isn't he? Because, for instance, he did one for Benjamin Brown, in, who's a collector that you visit as part of the Art Safari programme. Yeah, the Art Safari programme kind of had a really wacky narrative because, I, you know, Maurizio said you can make any film you want about me as long as you don't interview me, right? All right, I know that game. That makes my life really difficult. I've got to interview you. But actually, in Maurizio's case, I thought, I can survive this, but I'm going to try and interview him. And the whole thing about Maurizio, I then sort of started thinking about the ready-made. And, you know, Maurizio is always using ready-mades. So even if it's a stuffed animal, it's a kind of ready-made. It's a safe. It's a banana, you know. So, okay, there's the artist. He takes something out of reality, puts it in an art gallery and calls it art. Right, I'm from reality, you know. I'm Ben Lewis. I, I make TV. I'm in reality. He's in art. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take his works of art and I'm going to bring them to life. I'm going to take them back to reality and then I'm going to send them on missions to interview him, which was, you know, a gag within his kind of theoretical framework, but mine. And he, he really got that. So, you know, I dressed up some kid as one of his little sculptures as a sort of mini me, Charlie Don't Surf, and sent him off to in, to try and, you know, doorstep Catalan at some art opening and then um, I had another piece where we... It's quite complicated to explain this piece, but in those days, Maurizio did not do any interviews and he sent along his double to do interviews. And his double is a is a curator, now a very famous curator, very brilliant man called Massimiliano Joni, who also has a brilliant sense of humour and is now running the new museum. And he sent, he sent Massimiliano off. Whenever anyone wanted an interview with Maurizio in the early 2000s, he sent Massimiliano off to do it. So what I did was I created this other sculpture that's owned by this English gallerist called Benjamin Brown. Benjamin Brown commissioned Maurizio to do a piece for him. Yeah, I can't. I don't know how they agreed on it, but anyway, it came down to Maurizio was going to do a, a portrait of um, Benjamin Brown's granny. And what he did was he created one of his waxwork pieces and put that granny, a waxwork of Benjamin Brown's granny, in a fridge, you know. In his fridge, in, in Ben his, Brown's fridge. Exactly, in his fridge, in his kitchen. You know, another really clever idea about, you know, your granny always hiding around the corner and also about, I mean, about cryogenic suspension and death <laughs> and do you really want your granny to live forever? And the, the layers go on and on. So I, se- I, se- I sent off these sort of Murcio sculptures to try and interview him and kind of get little answers out of him and I got a certain way with that. And then I felt like I really have to get Maurizio to give me an interview. How do I do that? And I latched onto this smart idea of going to the Venice Biennale and creating a work of art that was a sort of imitation Maurizio, right? But actually, because I'm not very talented, it was really bad. (laughs) And what I didn't realise, I'd like to tell you I planned this all along, but the reason I got the interview with Maurizio, right, was because I created a work of art that looked like it was a Maurizio, but a really bad one. And then I started, and this is a giant head. What I'd had was I had a giant head, a giant head just like Maurizio Catalan. Because he had done a piece in the late 90s, or maybe it's the early 2000s, he'd done a piece where he had a sort of character uh, at MoMA with a giant Picasso head, like he was like a Mickey Mouse, you know, greeting people at Disneyland, but this was Picasso greeting people at MoMA. So anyway, I built this huge head, looked like Maurizio Catalan, and started wandering around Venice with it. And Maurizio obviously saw it and thought, oh no, people are going to think this is mine. It's terrible. <laughs> so he had to come out and stop me and get me to take off my head, which, you know, is the end of that little film. It, I mean, he, it, he, it's, so, it's so clear from that sequence that he was, you know, he really didn't like the fact that he was having to do this. You know, he, you know, he, he made this stipulation he didn't want to be interviewed and he really wanted to stick to that. Is it, is it sort of about avoiding that mystique being disrupted somehow about keeping a certain sense of mystery about the man himself i don't think i don't think it's mystique or you know trying to create some kind of mysterious artist brand and you know a cult of the cult of the great artist who can never be seen i don't think it's anything like that he's quite shy maurizio but i don't think it's shyness either i think you know he just wants to see if the art will succeed on its own terms i mean his images are incredibly simple and this is i think this is one of the features of art from the 90s is is art that works instantly bang like an advert you know you can think of other artists who've created images that simple a really direct popular easy to get images you know he doesn't need to talk about it 
will it work if he doesn't open his mouth? And most of them do because, you know, they immediately, a, a lot of them, you know, they just somehow become part of popular debate. They're sort of, they're so cleverly inserted into where we are now. One thing your film conveys very powerfully, I think, is the difficulty people have in explaining his art. So that you talk to various collectors, a gallerist, and they and every time you ask them to explain it, they they all, they're kind of lost for words and they scramble around, and it leads to sort of unsatisfactory explanations. That's that's in a way you talk about the ambiguity of him. Yeah. One of the great qualities of his work is that it prompts all sorts of interpretation, right? Yeah, you just can get you can get sort of ambiguity of meaning with images in a way you can't get with words, and so it's quite difficult to explain them in words. And yeah. And I take, take, took advantage of that a lot in Art Safari and the Maurizio film and the other films because I, you know, and I sort of make fun of people, you can't really explain the art. And, but I, the vacuum is important because, you know, if it's a really good image, then it is quite difficult to explain. I mean, that's just how it is. That's the, that's the power of images. That's why meaning in art is different than, you know, is different from meaning in books, if you like. And we're like talking to you now that, that we've laughed a lot in this conversation. And I think... You know, this actually, as part of this podcast, we've, we're talking to some comedians a minute, and we talk about art and comedy and all that kind of stuff. But what's interesting to me is arts, and I think don't think art is terribly good at comedy. You know, uh, a lot of art that tries to be funny isn't very funny. But Maurizio does have a genuine knack to draw a laugh, doesn't he? Yeah, he's just, you know, he he he's like the Steve Bell of the art world, isn't he? I mean, uh, oh, he's the Guardian cartoonist. He Steve is Bell, brilliant, yeah. you know, and he's done really, really political stuff, like in some sort of, you know, in some sort of grubby hill. I don't know if it was a rubbish dump or just a kind of dirty hill, at, you know, in in Sicily. He erected a life size replica of the Hollywood sign, so it sort of looks like in the Hollywood Hills, but it's not. <laughs> it's in Sicily, you know, overlooking. Uh, you know, an, a very untended piece of land. It's very, and it, it's a very powerful piece about about poverty. And he did another total genius piece about nationalism that people don't really remember very well, right? Which was, it's like a sort of war memorial. It's all black marble, you know, and and there's and you can see writing on it like it's people's names. And you go up close to it, right? And it's a list of all the English football teams defeats every single one in a list you know i mean brilliant and also he left space for lots more to be added of course which was the sort of an, another extra element of his of his uh, ribaldry and yeah i mean well observed you've just seen something in the work that actually i'd never never occurred to me before and you're completely right and that is how sharp it is you know the war memorial is actually about people dying so we can understand defeat but actually you erect a war memorial you know to to, to your victory, to your glory in battle. It's about your success. And here is his monument to defeats. So ultimately, one of the interesting aspects about this has been, has been, has been that, that in a way Catalan, has, as he's been propelled back into the public eye, there's, there's, there's been lots of assessments about what his role is and what kind of artist he is. You clearly feel he's a tremendously important artist and he's made an important contribution to, to the kind of whole contemporary culture around art. Yeah, his work will never die. He's in the top ten of living artists, no question. He's up there with Lucian Freud. It's just a completely different kind of art, but it's every bit as good. In fact, it's just like the diametric opposite. He, he, is, he is Lucian Freud in the mirror. <laughs> Suck it up, guys. Ben, thanks for coming on again. Thank you for having me. You can read more about Comedian at theartnewspaper.com or on our app for iOS, which you can find at the App Store, of course. And when you're there, you can also read Louisa Buck's interview with Maurizio Catalan. Ben Lewis has made his art safari film on Catalan available on Vimeo for free. You can find the link via his Twitter page. He's at the Universal Ben. And Ben's book, The Last Leonardo, about Leonardo's Salvatore Mundi, is available from all good bookshops and online stores. We'll be back with three comedians talking about art and comedy after this. The film producer-turned-photography dealer Peter Fetterman describes himself as a bit like Billy Graham. I'm evangelical for the power of photography to change lives as it's changed mine, he says. He's chosen a selection of images for A Wonderful Life, the sale of photographs from the Peter Fetterman collection, which takes place at Bonhams, New York, next week. In among works by familiar names such as Ansel Adams, August Sander and Irving Penn, 
there are images of startling quality by lesser-known practitioners. Fetterman singles out Penti Samalati, the Finnish photographer who specialises in the small surprises to be found in the everyday, as well as the poetic work of Sabina Weiss, who is still producing masterpieces at 95. Bonham's head of photographs, Laura Patterson, said, Peter Fetterman is one of those fortunate people who's been able to turn his passion into his life's work. The outstanding images he's selected from his collection are testimony to his unerring eye for beauty and style. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Now, an exhibition of art by well-known British comedians has just opened in London. Art is the Best Medicine, which will raise money from the sale of artworks for the charity Mental Health UK, features some of the biggest names in UK comedy, including Jim Moyer or Vic Reeves, Josie Long and the three comedians who joined me in the studio this week. Annie McGrath, the curator of the show, who's showing a painting of the moon landing, and Catherine Switzer, who as a woman was prevented from running the Boston Marathon in 1967. Jenny Eclair, who won the Perry Award at the Edinburgh Festival, the UK's biggest comedy award in 1995, who's showing a painting of flowers, and Rob Orton, who's showing a portrait of Chris Tarrant, the British light entertainment presenter, best known for presenting Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Annie, you conceived of this exhibition. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, so it's an exhibition of art by comedians. Um, So I've been working in the art world for about six years and doing stand-up at the same time. So I thought, why not? straddle those things straddle's not a good word to combine to combine. when you said straddle, straddle I thought it's a very poor choice of words yeah, as I said it I thought <laughs> I thought she doesn't I write I books straddled <laughs> um, combine those two things together because there's loads of blended blend blend them together and uh, yeah so I mean, and was it? And did you invite people that you knew were knew were artists, or did you? Yeah, sort of... a combination. I invited a few people who I knew already did art, and then I sort of discovered through Instagram there were lots of other comedians who draw, draw as a kind of side project as well. Um, so yeah, the list. I think there's now four, fifty-four artists. God, that's enormous. Amount. Yeah. And, and I mean, the interesting thing is it's, it's raising money for a mental health charity, and, and yes. And, the way that you're presenting it is very much as, as uh, a sort of therapeutic exercise, the, the, the act of making art. Yeah, I think a lot of comedians find it a useful form of escape because stand-up can be a little bit stressful <laughs> at times and being able to sort of paint by yourself without an audience there uh, is a nice relief, I think. So, um, Jenny, yeah. you're, a, you're a painter. Yes, I like the smell of it. I like, I'm like. i smelling my own flesh now because I smell slightly of oil paints because I've had a class this morning. Well, I'm one of those ghastly middle-aged, middle-class ladies that goes off to a class on a Monday morning. Um, but my, I do it for my mental health because obviously I've had some problems, haven't we all? But I, you, you get frustrated, you get angry, you get upset and you get jealous. And I, I'm all these things in an art class as well. Don't think that I suddenly let all that go jesus <laughs> this morning I, I was sort of i was furious because some people were you know some people with no talent were actually being better than me but there we go did you tell them that no i just huffed around <laughs> and nudged a few things yeah. um no I, I i this is a lovely thing to be asked to do because i i genuinely uh, do believe that uh, in artist therapy i i really see you know to be serious for a second i think that it's a lifesaver totally and utterly and I am happier uh, so much happier that now that I, I've because I stopped you know you go to school you do it and all that sort of thing and then all through your 20s and 30s you just don't don't pick up your pencils for fun anymore and then all of a sudden you know I've let it back in my life and I'm just so glad Rob, you've done a, a portrait of Chris Tarrant, the British TV presenter, yeah. do, it, and it made me laugh when I saw it. Oh, thanks! <laughs> but you know, yeah. do you see do you see your painting as a sort of an extension of your comedy life, or is it, or do you do you separate the two things? Um, they're quite separate at the moment. Um, I the art was the first thing that I realised that I liked at school and got any enjoyment from doing really and making something out of nothing, and then started to enjoy the ideas a bit more of just coming up with an idea and then uh, saying it instead of painting it, you know. Um, But they are very separate at the moment. But now, if I paint, it doesn't often make me laugh, whereas if I have an idea for something, then sometimes it does, but not always. (laughs) I mean, there's this curious thing that's happened is that Harry Hill has also done a portrait of Chris Tarrant, among other things. I'm trying to get Chris Tarrant to come to the exhibition. (laughs) Yeah, no. Open it. Yeah, no luck yet. Well, I looked him up or looked up for his agent online 
and you can pay for appearance. Oh, right. I bet there's a lookalike. So, I bet there's a lookalike. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. How yeah. much is it to get Chris Tarrant? Did you see? I think it's about 15 quid, is it? Not no, a million. Don't quid. say that. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I think it's about 5 million. Can you cut that bit? Well, given that it's a charity, maybe he'd come down for free. Annie, you, you, tell, tell me about your painting because I, I, to, I was, you know, one of the interesting things is that looking to see which of the pictures were funny and which were clearly very serious. And yours, it seems to me, is making a very serious point. Well, yeah, that wasn't that intentional, but it, I don't think it's funny at all. <laughs> it's a sort of big um, landscape with a moon which has that sort of iconic image of Neil Armstrong um, first man on the moon and then underneath is Catherine Switzer who was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon and I just thought it was in- I had a bit of stand up about it um, but I thought it was interesting that we sent a man to the moon before we let a woman run a marathon so yeah, I guess more it is about making- that. I just thought it was quite funny like we, don't- we didn't let a woman run the marathon I think the first woman ran in 1972 um, because they thought if a woman ran a marathon before that, that her uterus would fall out. Well, it does. <laughs> I ran for a bus earlier, and, and my uterus—they <laughs> my uterus. The one seventy-six right bus then. had to stop, and they had to wait till I picked up my uterus and shoved it back up. I'm forever. Is it in now? <laughs> yeah, but it's a little bit twisted. Okay. So if I move around a bit, I'm sorry because my uterus is on the. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, um, your 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 painting is is called "Remind Me Something." Uh, is, isn't it? It's probably called something like uh, the sort of painting a middle aged woman would do. Yeah, exactly. It is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is. Um, it is. It's flowers. It's flowers. It's in a lovely frame. Um, it's. I think they're irises, but it's a spring flower kind of quite blurred, quite. Uh, impressionistic uh, oil on board and then um, framed uh, you see uh, my my partner actually deals art uh, be much better if he dealt coke because <laughs> <laughs> he'd make some money do you know what I mean uh, you can keep that in if you want because I really mean it uh, but he's no he has a business called 20th century uh, prints.com and so he deals in 20th century prints so he's a really really good at framing and he gets these frames from uh, flea markets in France he's got a, a sidekick and um, they're beautiful frames and when I asked him if I could have one of his beautiful frames for a piece of my work his little face it fell it really oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh, the frame is probably worth more than the painting it is beautiful um, but, but so is look, the painting they look very nice together don't they, they? Do, so, yeah Yes, I'm good at that, you know. But so, so tell us about the pricing of the works, because, like, you know, how do you decide how much you're going to charge for your, for well, your painting? Well, our friend on the left should kick us off here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I I was thinking about my, the name for mine, and because it's of Chris Tarrant, I called it um, I Want to Be a Millionaire, and then so the painting costs £1 million. So that was that, was that, that, was that idea. <laughs> That's it, I like ideas. That's the thing. I love ideas. When you I, had that idea, did it make you laugh? Because it's yeah, made it me did. Laugh. It made me laugh. <laughs> I and thought you ridiculous creature. Yeah, but it made me laugh. And then we're going to come on later to this banana thing, aren't we? And uh, that's an idea, and uh, that didn't make me laugh. But <laughs> well, let's talk about it now. Then you know, just over over the last week yeah. in Miami, the work by Maurizio Catalan has been this this very swish art fair has been on display, and it's one hundred twenty thousand pound. It's an edition, multiple edition. So there were very, there were several that sold for one hundred twenty thousand pound. Mm. You know, it's called comedian. It seems like an unbelievably uh, coincidental thing to happen when you three are coming on the podcast. Just as comedians, what did you make of this idea the duct taped banana to a wall and charging one hundred twenty grand for it? He's wishing he'd had the idea yeah. <laughs> uh, well I was reading about it earlier and it said um, the banana is the idea it's like what you can't say a banana is an idea I feel like the bar for funny is a lot lower in art than it is in comedy like if we but went it, on stage with the banana stuck to a wall people tell us to fuck off well hold on the banana that is an iconic thing both in comedy and art yeah, yeah. holes but uh, you know the yeah. uh, front mm-hmm. cover of that album that's iconic for slipping on a banana yeah. skin very very funny indeed yeah. uh, <laughs> uh especially if a woman's uterus falls out at the same yeah. time um so that you know the, the banana is and it's often used in the fruit, fruit bowl i'm a big fan Mm. Big fan of fruit bowl art. So, I mean, uh, but the, the the whole thing about the, the Catalan uh, piece was uh, that a, a performance artist, not Catalan, another chap, decided to eat the banana. So, snatched the banana and ate it. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but then that kind of feeds back into uh, making that piece more famous, doesn't it? I mean, it's like... Uh, 
Banksy shredding his art live at Sotheby's. It's like the theft of the golden toilet. I mean, sort of art and, and mucking about with art and stealing it and all that sort of thing. I mean, it just brings it up the profile, really. Mm. Yeah. It, it, the point that you make about the lower bar for comedy and art, I wonder if it, it, there, are, there are some artists who make work which makes me laugh, but I was sort mm-hmm. of trying to think, how many times have I been in an art gallery and laughed out loud? And it probably count them on the fingers of one hand. I don't know what you think about comedy and art. I mean, David Shrigley would be an example mm. of an artist who, yeah. who, you know, he consistently makes me laugh. Yeah, I like um, Joan Cornello. Is that his name? He's an illustrator. He does very funny sort of illustrations that are like memes, but are very dark. And yeah, I follow him yeah. on Instagram. He's there's, the- there's one, isn't it, where a guy's got a selfie stick, but on the end of the selfie stick, there's a gun instead of a camera and he's pointing it. Yeah. Facing at him like that. That would make me titter. I'm not a big fan of comedy that makes me... I don't really go to a gallery to, to be made to laugh. I, I want my jaw to drop more than that. Um, but occasionally I'll come out of something and I, I, I won't have laughed, but I'll have felt, I feel gladdened to the heart. Mm. I'm allowed to say pretentious shit like that because <laughs> I am. <laughs> Because we all are, actually. But, you know, sometimes you just come out slightly beaming from something and really glad you've seen it. I do laugh in galleries, though. With, with, but do you laugh ju- at other people walking yeah, around? Yeah, and the, just the things that people say. And certain... There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, in the, I was once walking around and this little kid said to his mum, oh, where's Jesus? And the mum said, yeah, good question, where is Jesus? And I just thought... You know, stuff like just little snippets of stuff. And then there's also, is it called the Four Seasons or something that's in the National Gallery? These beautiful pizza. paintings. No, not pizza. <laughs> then And uh, they're just scenes. And then Jesus is in them. And when I spotted him, it was almost like, where's Wally? You know? Yeah. And that made me laugh. Yeah. It was the, the first, where's Wally in actual time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Botticelli in the, yeah. in the 15th century. Um, I was interested in this idea. I, I have a feeling that it's interesting that so many comedians are also artists because it seems to me that there's a, while the final product might be the same, artists and comedians have a similar tendency to look differently at the world and that might, well, that's what might unite them. I mean, to make a serious point for a moment. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably true. You sort of pick up on everyday details that most people wouldn't necessarily. Um, I like uh, going back to the exhibition, Vic Reeves has done a very good sort of print of Batman on the toilet, which is funny. Vic's great. I mean, he's, he's, he does he's a pro- there, there are, I mean, within this sort of comedians and art, I'm really looking forward to seeing the exhibition because I think that, I mean, some of the comedians who've been painting have been painting for a long time and actually there's a proper standard there. There's, a, mm-hmm. you know, there will be pieces in this collection that are a, a proper, I mean, I like Noel Fielding's work as well. Um, and so I, I don't think it's just, I mean, for someone like me who does it for mental health and Sunday afternoon and, you know, I, quite a few comedians have a bit of time on our hands. <laughs> Um, and and rather than sort of, um, you know, having ill thoughts, bad thoughts about other people, and sort of making voodoo dolls, I mean, it's it, it, channeling your creativity into something that's um, more is better for you than that. It's not a bad thing, right? I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, art can provoke in different ways as well you, you know you can pour anger into an, a work of art and that can create the kind of transcendent experience if you've got your own studio and you can really slop about i mean that's mm. my dream do you have a space no i use my bedroom which is not big enough really to splash around yeah yeah i think most of us have you got a space no i, I mean i would kill for we, it, i yeah. think we should make a comedian studio mm. and have like a share although that actually that's right, that's <laughs> imagine, Jenny's face at that imagine suggestion. the jealousy and the sort <laughs> yeah. of you know the pecking order and oh well they've got a slightly bigger slot than I've got and all that kind of thing but I that you see I um this I'm rambling off on another thing but th- I do find this quite interesting is that uh, last week I went on a residential beading course now this is something that um because I think of artist therapy I think, and also because if you're a middle-aged woman, you're sort of allowed to have hobbies. And I I think it's really good when younger people have hobbies because for so long, I thought that, you know, only kind of people who didn't have friends had hobbies. But, you know, when when you are this age, you're kind of given license to have hobbies. And there's this place, which is the headquarters of the WI, and they have um, this kind of school. It's called Denman College. And it's basically a hotbed of crafting and painting and cooking and singing. And it's kind of fucking mental. (laughs) 
Um, and you have to, you really should be a middle aged woman. I mean, the youngest woman there was about 48, and the oldest was about 93. And you stay there in these bedrooms with no televisions and no Wi Fi. Sounds like prison. It, and, no, but it's, and then you get up and you do beading from nine o'clock in the morning. And it's just, I, it was like being in hospital. It was like I really had lost it completely. A sanatorium. It was like a sanatorium, but a craft sanatorium. So when you say we should have this comedian's art space, I'm mm. so up for it. You know, I really think if there could be a warehouse. Do you remember the old days? where you know, you used to be able to sort of um, squat a warehouse. Mm. And we could do an Andy Warhol thing all over again. That would be good. That would be great. The factory reconstructed <laughs> yeah. by comedians. Uh, again, to get serious, the, the the mental health issue. I mean, it's really interesting in the press release that, that the very these several comedians talking very openly about their own um, difficulties in mm. terms of their mental health. It's quite disarming, you know, seeing people that you're used to seeing being funny, mm. then talking very seriously about their life. And I think that's a really important point, isn't it? That that actually the reason that some people are in comedy and the reason that some people are making art is because it helps them with dealing with these mental health issues. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's actually sort of ironically caused people to feel a lot of anxiety as well as finding it therapeutic. I think the fact that you're putting something on show in such a different way to performing has been quite stressful for a lot of people and I don't know there's something different about displaying art to sort of making people laugh on stage because that's the final piece like you can't change it based on people's reaction to a painting Mm. is there not some uh some sort of level of calmness from the fact that you're actually surrounded by lots of other people doing the same thing oh yeah I hope so because the last thing I want is for the exhibition to cause more anxiety (laughs) among comedians um but I think the link is definitely create more art though that's true yeah you've done a good thing thank you Jenny well, that's it. I mean, lots of artists made work especially for... I mean, is all the art made especially for this exhibition? Most of it. A few pieces are not for... Yours is, was made yeah, it was, 2014, Yeah, it was. It? I was just thought... Oh, so, no, lots, it doesn't really matter. Lots of people have made stuff especially for it. And, uh, yeah, other people have... Like Jack Whitehall, I think, has submitted his GCSE artwork. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of a range. <laughs> And I mean, and and the great thing is that the images are so diverse, haven't you? You've got really sort of cartoony images. Your your image is sort of, um, Rob, your image is really kind of uh, heavily worked and you've got really worked on those sort of lines on yeah. uh, Chris Tarrant's face, for instance. Yeah, I remember doing it. And uh, what I like about it is that it just, when you start just with a piece of A4 print paper and you're like, oh, I'll do this for a bit. And then next thing you know, you've been there for, five hours and you've completely not looked at your phone once and just gone and it takes you somewhere else and then mm. you wake up in the morning i love it when you wake up in the morning and you remember that oh i did that and you've made something out of nothing and that sense of achievement even though it you know even if it never sees light of day it's like you feel like you've put some of your time and your life to something to good use and i went through a stage recently of not doing as many gigs after doing lo- like Edinburgh and all that lot and then did uh, a gig the other night in a school and it just made me like my purpose was there I was like oh yeah right I've, I've, and it gave me such a, a kick and I think it's the same of when you pick up the paintbrushes again or something like that I think that a lot of my mental health problems come from well spending so much time on my own but then I don't know. Can you discipline yourself to do it, though? Can you discipline yourself? Well, it's about discipline, isn't it? That's it. It is about discipline. And I think a lot of yourself... I think sometimes about allowing yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah, because it feels quite indulgent, doesn't it? Yeah, really. And indulgent, and I I get a lot of self-loathing from maybe like a lack of discipline. And so it's like, oh, I should have done that. So you start beating yourself up about that, or I should have tried harder on that. I know everyone has that. It's not just comedians and artists. Everyone, no, but isn't we it? have it worse. Yeah, we exactly. Have it I know. Worse yeah, than yeah, else. We yeah, suffer I more. Know, I don't know what the bond, do they? Yeah. <laughs> but it's really interesting that all of you have talked about the idea of making art as being somewhere out. It's sort of stepping out of time and space. It's a completely different territory of your or daily experience. I mean, it's really fascinating to hear all of you in your different ways. It is a kind of escape or... Very much so. And I think that, you know, a lot of people get this from running. I'm far too lazy in any way my uterus uh, just <laughs> falls out all the time. But, um, you know, a sport doesn't really... I, I've had to join the gym because, I mean, you just have to because your doctor tells you to. And um, 
I, I do get, I, I go to yoga classes about twice a week and I do get the same sort of thing. Um, and I think that because I'm allowing myself the time now for this because I'm not saying that I, I'm not as uh, ambitious because I'm very, still very, very ambitious, but there is a bit where you go, all oh, right, I'm nearly 60. I am allowed to do this now. This I'm allowed some treat time. And um, I never now think that a yoga class or an, a, a painting session is wasted, even if I'm not happy with what I did. I I know that it's it's I'm happier. Mm. So it's I, I do wish that I'd had this as a younger woman, but I was fighting as a younger woman. I was so ferocious and so driven and so mad and so hungover <laughs> <laughs> and so sort of you know that I just would never have given myself the time. And it's a real shame because I could have been. I could be better than I am now because I'd have had 20 more years of experience. But those kind of things are valued much more widely now, aren't they? Like looking so after your body and mind. So, yeah, is... yeah, the, the well-being yeah, and, exactly. and you know, good mental health and all that sort of thing. I'm, and I approve of that, actually, even though there's obviously a, a huge amount of wank involved in it as well. But <laughs> I in... thought you were going to say wanking then. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not with a paintbrush dying, you know. Um, <laughs> But it, it, there, I mean, the well, the whole wellness sort of business can it can be ridiculous because mm. it's all sort of selling you smelly candles and you know all that sort of thing. But I do believe that um, having a hobby and being creative and allowing yourself to do that is wonderful. Obviously, you're all showing your work in public in this show, but I wonder in general, as people that are showing your work when you're doing your comedy. Does it matter to you in general that your work is seen by other people, your artwork is seen by other people? No, I think maybe a couple of years ago I was a bit more um, shy about it, but I've sort of pushed myself to... Got an Instagram account for my art and all that kind of thing, and I've did sold. Did you go to some, art school? I went to Camberwell for a oh, year. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, that's where I live. Oh, I still think I might do a foundation. You should. I did it. Yeah, it's great. Foundation is the best year of education I ever did. It's the most. You learn mm. more in that year than I, I, I learned more in that year than any year in my whole education. Probably about five times more. It's just an extraordinary mm. journey of discovery. You should do, definitely do yeah. a foundation. Everybody um, should do a foundation. I, you know, if if you know, I was thinking. Yeah, I know. I can't quite give a year up to it because I can't make any money out of it, and sometimes I still have a mortgage to pay and all that sort of thing. But uh, no, that's really interesting. Did you go to art school? Yeah, just in York. Yeah, but it was great because it was you had to first bit of self discipline really, and you know you get a project at the start, and you have to show your work at the end, and it's up to you how much work you do and the good thing about that is that you find out a lot about yourself how much do you like what you do and you've got to I think it's the same with being a comedian or performer or whatever it's like you've got to you've got to like your stuff more than anyone else so that you're like oh yeah I want to do this I want to show everyone just how what I can do yeah and maybe I noticed this with, with Annie's podcast secret artist podcast it's really interesting because you're talking to people um whilst you're making the work and there's yeah. this lovely um relaxed quality to it but mm. the, but it actually you find out a lot about the whole process of being creative in that i mean lots of uh, and, uh, uh several of the conversations have they have this sort of sense of anxiety about the whole process of being a creative or you know the idea of being creative to be funny as, a, as an end result yeah. sort of, there is a sort of tremendous pressure in that somehow and that comes out a lot through your podcast I think, yeah i think it's quite nice you see the journey from i think we've talked a lot about art being therapeutic but there is definitely a massive frustration that comes like halfway through doing a piece i find that with painting anyway um but i think yeah whilst we're doing the art it it does so as rob said it like takes you to another place and you're less conscious about what you're actually saying because you're concentrating on trying to draw a cat or whatever <laughs> uh, i thought we'd end just by talking about artists that you love perhaps if one of if you could choose one artist to recommend to our listeners that you you would you, you think they should look at again or or discover I'm a huge fan of Tom DeFreston, who does very sort of painterly, figurative art uh, based on literature. Um, so he does sort of a Hamlet uh, portrait and stuff like that. Just very like thick, dripping paint. I like I like art that I can't possibly do myself. I like sort of the opposite of of me. You know, I love a bit of Basquiat. If uh, I like, but then I quite like pretty as well. I can go quite. Um, 
sort of chintzy, you know, Bonnard and, you know, I like, I don't mind anything that's... And I like a good fruit bowl. I don't like dark. I don't like Rembrandt, uh, as I've said. Um, I hate uh, the famous Lowry, but Lowry before he was Lowry was all right. I like a bit of Henry Moore. I like... Uh, but then when I think... Uh, I like the women, the uh, women painters of the 1930s. I've got a, a big um, piece of my heart that goes for it, real sort of apple-cheeked 1930s portraiture of girls and women and that sort of thing. I love all that. They don't even have to be famous uh, in a nice frame. <laughs> <laughs> what about Akimboldo? Is fruit, isn't it? Oh, no, I don't like that. That's no. ugly. No, I don't like that. And it's a bit try-hard. No, ugly, ugly. Yeah. No, very bad. Bananas. <laughs> I don't like I like him in a bowl. Don't fuck about him. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, like, um, I like Andy Goldsworthy. Oh, just yes. Lying down in the rain and then getting up. And just these, I love, I love ideas, you know, and I love that What's idea. Left behind, yeah, and, uh, yes, his sort of stuff in in the wild. And yeah, yes, I, I, I do. I, it's I, great, isn't it? Yeah, and just cover it. Just I love the idea of a a grown adult being able to go into the woods and just covering a big branch in the same coloured leaf, and that being his life, you know, and. Brilliant. Damien Hurst as well. I think he's very, very good on Instagram, the way that he talks about his work and uh, his early early stuff and, and late stuff, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I am a big David Shugley fan. I've, I've, one of my favourite things on our wall, we've got a, a framed David Shugley thing, and it's, um, it's of a um, guy going up the steps, right? And it, so there's a, a cartoon figure going up some steps... And there's a speech bubble coming off and it says, um, as I go to ke- collect my award, I turn to my friends and family in the crowd. And then there's these other speech bubbles coming on from the side. It says, twat, you twat. <laughs> what a twat, you twat. And it's just like, so that, can I just think about that when you're going up to Edinburgh and not trying not to get involved. It's futility, isn't it? Yeah. The absolute futility of life. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I love all that. Well, thank you, all three of you, for coming in today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Come by our work. Art is the Best Medicine is at the Fiumano Classa Gallery in London until the 20th of December. Annie McGrath's podcast is called Secret Artists, and you can find that wherever you usually get your podcasts. To find out more about forthcoming gigs for the three comedians, visit their websites. Rob's is roborton.co.uk, Jenny is jennyeclair.com, and Annie is at anniemcgrath.com. Annie particularly asked me to mention her show at the Vault Festival in London on the 27th and 28th of February next year. That's all for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to The Art Newspaper at theartnewspaper.com where you can find the subscription to suit you. While there, you can also subscribe for free to our daily newsletter and our new monthly newsletter called Art Market Eye. Do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to find us. The Art Newspaper Podcast is produced by Julia Mahalska, Amy Dawson and David Clack and David also does the editing. Thanks to Ben, to Annie, to Jenny and to Rob and thank you for listening. Join us next week when we'll be doing our review of 2019. See you then. The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com now.